right. Welcome to episode two of It Stinks, the critic podcast. Uh, last episode, we examined the pilot episode of The Critic, and today we are doing episode two, Miserable. Um, I have to issue a slight correction here at the top. I said in the last episode that this episode of The Critic is not actually streaming on Crackle. Turns out it is. Uh, I just needed to read a little farther because this episode was misnumbered. So it does jump from episode one to episode three, but this episode is there. I believe it's like number four or something. So if you just look for the one that says miserable, you can uh, check it out and they are all there. All right, cool. So with that out of the way, um, I want to welcome my guest for today's episode. Uh, please welcome Rachel Hacker. Hello, Rachel. Hi, Brian. Hey, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. Just had some really nice sushi. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Um, cool. So yeah, so Rachel, I invited you onto this show because I know you are very smart and very opinionated. Um, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but there, uh, there is uh, another kind of special reason I invited you on the show. Uh, it's because you're my girlfriend. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um yeah, so uh we met about like 6 or 7 months ago at this point. Yeah, today is 6 months. Oh wow, yeah, that's right. Uh happy yeah. anniversary. Happy anniversary. <laughs> um, uh awesome. So um yeah, so I know that uh uh you said you did not watch the critic when it was on in the 90s. So um yeah, so I'm just curious, what like what was your what like I kind of grew up with this show. What kind of shows did you grow up with, or what did you typically watch? Well, I'm I, I'm showing a little bit of my age here, but you know I was born in '91, so like I have this really fond memory of watching a lot of things like on Nickelodeon, but not always knowing exactly what was going on. I don't know. <laughs> so like, I don't remember the critic. I remember the Simpsons. That was one of those like adult cartoons and all of those adult cartoons, my parents and my grandparents were hesitant to really let me watch because they thought they were bad for four-year-olds. And I guess they are like, a, but it's going to go over a four-year-old's head. So I don't know, but <laughs> I, you know, I watched, um, there was like Nick Jr. that was on in like, you know, the nineties and that was really cute. And it was this little like face that would talk to you. This isn't oh, yeah. anything like revolutionary I'm talking about, but like, this is just what I remember. And, um, did you watch I Blue's Clues? Oh yeah. I watched Blue's Clues and I, but I got to admit, even at like, Six, like I felt like it was too old for me like when that came on I was like oh I'm too old for this and then I thought it was too old for Barbies after first grade and then in third grade I got like wildly into Barbies yeah that uh, that can definitely be like a phase that kids go through where they think they're too old for everything they try to act like all mature because they they want to be cool or whatever but like yeah, it's so much more fun to just give in to that and just just like what you like. Like, who cares? Oh, yeah. You know, too, like, as far as, like, the adult cartoons went, like, there was this very clear, like, divide, like, based on when it would come on during the day. And you could see just the tone of voice. And I always found it more interesting. But my mom was like, no, we're not going to watch this. And she, you know, flipped that channel on that old big box TV. And that was that. I mean, I didn't have a choice. Um, she was always there. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know. Um, I watched like Ren and Stimpy and stuff some. And that was always weird. It was never not weird. Oh yeah, I, I was a big, big Ren and Stimpy fan as a kid, even though, yeah, there were definitely some episodes that totally freaked me out, other episodes that, like, gave me nightmares, um, mm -hmm. but, uh, yeah, I loved it. 
they always had gross things that they did on those like the way they animated i mean they could show stuff like earwax in oh, yeah. animation and i knew exactly what it was but it was just like a yellow squiggle and i'm just like ew like i know not anymore like they would do those things where they would like cut to like a very detailed close-up of something like yeah like an ear yeah. of earwax or like a, a scraped knee or something like that with just yeah just a very detailed animated like still frame but yeah it was it was gross um, and now I, I can never uh, watch that show again because it turns out the creator, John Kay, is a uh, monster. I remember that. And I remember, maybe I made this up. I don't know. I read a lot of things like this. Before, like, XO Jane stopped being a blog, I used to read all of their, like, whatever it happened to me's. And I knew that they were kind of, like, some white feminist upper-class nonsense. But, like, I couldn't <laughs> help myself to see how horrible. It was, like, sex in the city. But these women just had no idea how the world worked but you know so i was reading one and i swear that this one girl talked about that relationship with um the guy who was with ren and stempy and she was like an intern i think back yeah. in the 90s and then like it came out but i think it was exo jane maybe it was jezebel i don't know i actually like jezebel but you know i think it was one of them yeah, R.I.P. Jezebel. Um, uh, but yeah, I remember hearing when all that happened, all that stuff came out about John Kay and just first being horrified at it and then thinking like, oh God, that's a piece of my childhood I can never revisit again. Yeah, but let me be clear that creatives are weird motherfuckers. Like if you're a creative, you just, you're going to get it like 90% of the time, but then there's going to be some 10% gray area of questionable ethics where you have something that makes you do bad things. <laughs> so I don't know. Yeah, no, I think that can definitely be true. Um, well, with that in mind, let's turn towards uh, another cartoon that uh, has some problematic elements, uh, The Critic. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, so, uh, so, yeah. So tell me about your impressions of this show coming into it as, as someone who has never seen it before. Yeah, well, thank you for redirecting the conversations. I have the attention span of a carrot, so yeah. <laughs> I appreciate that. But also, yeah, so I watched it for, I think that was the second time last night. And the first time I thought it was very, I don't know how to put it, it felt very dated. And I'll get into some of that later. But then, like, I watched it last night and I was like, you know, this is pretty cute. Like, you're not supposed to like Jay. Jay Sherman is not someone, like, you're supposed to relate to him, but I think there's something inside each of us. Like, we each have, like, a little bit of an inner Jay Sherman. And I think that that's what makes that show relatable is that you all, you know, you're on the spectrum of Jay Sherman. Sure. Yeah. There's definitely th things about Jay that I can identify with. Definitely some things that um, I don't identify with. Uh, and uh, yeah, I think he makes a very interesting protagonist for this show. Um, you mentioned that some of it is very dated. This was, yeah, definitely something that Tyler and I got into on our episode that, yeah, this is definitely a show very much of its time. You know, it ran from 1994 to 1995. And that is, I think, very evident just from watching it, both in terms of the pop culture references it makes, the uh, movie parodies that you see, um, but also just in the uh, things it jokes about. Like, there were definitely things that could be joked about in the 90s that you probably wouldn't do today. No, you're right. The 90s were just like chilling. Like when I remember the 90s, I just remember like blue jeans and like one hit wonders. And I don't know, like, 
when they stopped started doing DVDs, but like I really liked her VHS player and whatever. I don't know, but you know, one thing that was different then is plots weren't so complicated to TV shows. Right now, mm. I just finished watching part of an episode of Ozark, so like right now, the third season came out on Friday of that, and just this whole family and Jason Bateman and Laura Linney are in it. They're kind of the stars and oh my God, they make some terrible choices just (laughs) all the time. And like, it makes you want to make terrible choices. Like I was literally yelling just now, like, yeah, kill her, kill her. And I just thought, (laughs) no, I don't do that. So, um, you know, with the critic, there's an extreme wholesomeness that I recognize that takes me from being this, you know, raging feminist bitch to being this kind of like, you know, a little bit more compassionate figure. I'm like, you know, Jay's working on it. Jay, sure. I don't know if he ever figured it out in later seasons, but I just feel like he's always a little bit naive and working on it. Yeah. Well, I mean, he definitely has flaws that carry throughout the show. Um, And I definitely relate to what you were saying about how plots were so much simpler in the 90s. Like, because uh, like, yeah, sitcoms were definitely these very simple, just like, you know, you turn it on, you just turn your brain off and just laugh for 30 minutes. And these days, it's like, I mean, the show, um, difficult people even joked about it, like every comedy now has to be a drama. Uh so that's, yeah, that's definitely something I kind of miss. Uh, that's maybe part of the reason I, I like revisiting shows from the 90s, like The Critic. Um, and uh, yeah, d- definitely a lot of, yeah, a lot of cute stuff, a lot of uh, funny stuff in this show. All right, let's get into this episode in particular, Miserable. So we kind of see... A, a recurring theme that we saw from the pilot, which is that Jay is very unlucky in love. We we know that he's divorced with a son, and uh, as this episode begins, uh, the radio—I believe it's the radio—informs uh, us that it is the first day of spring, which means love is in the air, and there's tons of people, you know, coupling together, getting hooked up, and we definitely see a lot of that. Uh, happen right away Mm -hmm. like yeah what do we see like um oh like the he uh when he when jay goes outside we see the uh man and the woman go for the same taxi and it looks like they're gonna uh get into an argument because you know new yorkers fighting over a taxi how many times have we seen that but then of, of course what happens they gaze into each other's eyes and fall immediately in love Yay, get out of here. It's mine. Forget about it, puss face. My God, you're stunning. No, you are. Share my cab and my life. Yeah, that was cute. I don't know. I I lived in New York for, you know, I got a degree from NYU. So when I was at you know, NYU and I guess seeing all the different taxis and all the different people, it was like, it was like, that never happens. Like, I'm sorry. (laughs) I looked at that and I I appreciate it. It's cute, but that's definitely someone who's exaggerating New York, like TV, New York and real New York are absolutely the same and absolutely different at the same time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I feel like with, you know, New York on TV, everyone thinks of like sex in the city. I mean, I had, I had a blog based on sex in the city when I lived in New York and when I first got out there and I was like, yeah, it's just like Carrie Bradshaw. And it really wasn't like Carrie Bradshaw. You know, I went out with this, maybe you knew this, maybe you didn't, but I went out with a strange man who asked me in Union Square Park to go out on a date with him and he took me for halal food to Times Square. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and it was just really weird because he was so awkward and he made me kiss him in the Air Apostle in Times Square. 
this was like 2014 and it was the most awkward thing and then he tried to like walk around with me and I was just like all right I have an essay to write and go home (laughs) and then when I got back he was like no I want to take you to a hotel and I'm like yeah like oh you're taking me to a hotel and like yeah New York isn't great like if you're just looking for a random person to give you love on the street it (laughs) will get you in trouble this guy I'm laughing but at the time it was terrifying this guy about a week later I found him near my apartment building and he didn't have any bags or anything like he was shopping or doing anything like that he was trying to do and I don't know if he was stalking me or looking for me I'll never know but I had to use the back entrance of my dorm for about four months after that and I never saw him again but I was gonna be damn sure that he left me alone so you know they're like yeah so like the critic is like oh yeah you'll find love with any random fuckwad new york no don't do that (laughs) (laughs) boundaries (laughs) (laughs) oh god Uh, i feel lucky i've uh i've never had any kind of experience like that you know it's really fun being in fear all the time but anyways (laughs) (laughs) i feel like jay sherman would do a lot better in the Midwest. Mm-hmm. Really? <laughs> um, you mean in terms of uh, his romantic prospects? Yeah, like I just feel he doesn't need a woman in New York. He needs like a mom in mom jeans who like makes cheese curds and like goes to the county fair. Like I'm from mm. Ohio, I can say all this. Like, you <laughs> know, like Jay Sherman just one seem like, a little bit of like a useful waif like you you're you're actually pretty useful in the midwest if you're a woman like you know how to like work absurdly hard for sometimes no reason but you know he needs he needs them like a midwestern woman who's gonna know how to put them in place Interesting. yeah okay um yeah because i know in uh in season two of the show, uh, he actually, they introduce a new character, uh, Alice, who is from, uh, I forget exactly where she's from, but she has a Southern accent. Oh, um, so she definitely introduces a very different dynamic into the show. And she kind of becomes kind of Jay's permanent uh, love interest for the rest of the show. They stop. Oh, doing, yeah. Yeah. They stop doing this like, like new girlfriend of the week thing that it looked like they were doing with the last yeah. episode and this one. Um, but yeah, that's, <laughs> that's, that's interesting. You think he should meet a, a nice Midwestern girl. I love how I predicted the show. That means I'm either as good as a TV yeah. writer or as bad as a TV writer. Oh, that, that could almost be the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, okay. So, uh, Oh, just, one little uh, uh, awesome visual joke that we get in, during this sequence that I wanted to highlight. Uh, as Jay is like seeing all these people in love and everything, he goes to a newsstand and he looks at all of the um, all of the newspaper headlines, and it all says like you know everyone in loves each other, blah blah blah. And then there's just one that says uh, Mayor has heart attack with the little heart symbol. Uh, oh. <laughs> I don't know. I, I thought, missed that. That's cute. Oh, it's really quick, but yeah. Uh, yeah, I liked that one. Eventually, uh, the plot kind of kicks into gear when Jay goes to a uh, movie screening for Indecent Proposal 2. I'd like to sleep with your wife, and I'm prepared to pay $6. Last time you paid us a million. I know. At the time, I was worth $1 million and $6. So we get another, like, movie parody that we get tons of in this show um i've never actually seen indecent proposal though i know pretty much what it's about i don't know have you seen it no i haven't i don't know what the connection was to any of that movie i'm gonna look it up right now but you know i'm not the best you know every time you ask me (laughs) for a movie have you seen this movie i usually say no 
Yeah. I'm well, sorry, Brian. Is no, it No Dollar Left Behind from 1993? It had Robert Redford, Demi Moore, Woody Harrelson. Yeah, and I know the the basic plot is that uh, uh, Woody Harrelson and Demi Moore are married, and then Robert Redford is like this eccentric millionaire who offers. Uh, I think he makes the offer to Woody, the husband, which is just an extra layer of gross. But he says, like, I'd I'd like to offer you a million dollars to sleep with your wife, and and then they they take him up on the offer, and then I think their marriage kind of suffers because of it. I don't know. I haven't seen the movie, but I know that at least that much happens. I've heard of this for some reason. Like I'm looking at the plot and that, yeah, that's what happens. Like, and I think, yeah, they go to Las Vegas hoping they can win enough money to finance David's fantasy real estate project. Okay. So he, he actually had a dumb idea. This whole thing is his fault. This movie would not exist if David Murphy had not, gone on a pipe dream so at the screening of indecent proposal 2 jay just happens to turn around and look towards the projection booth and he sees this pair of eyes from the projection lady so he goes up there and the woman who's operating the projector just kind of immediately just like is all over jay and they just hook up right then and there in the projection room yeah so i just want everyone to know that that's what happened to brian and i when we first got together i saw him down below in the theater and he saw me and we just that was that i lost my job later that night in the projection booth yeah and uh i believe i was watching sonic the hedgehog the movie and i still hold a grudge against you because i really wanted to watch it yeah okay except we definitely saw that valentine's day weekend (laughs) so i'm I'm gonna ruin that plot twist for everyone but that's a cute idea i would see Sonic the Hedgehog yeah. again with you but I would be very sad actually if I took you away from Sonic like imagine that we hadn't been together and like I would feel very bad taking you away from that moment yeah you know me and Sonic we have a, a bond that goes really deep you can't you can't really break that up I'm afraid no I have a really deep affair with sonic drive-in but i can't seem to find any out here so it's a different sonic same sonic no it's weird because they play the commercials here like i've definitely seen all those commercials with the two guys in the car and they're hilarious they're like two i think of the two of the best comedians around but but it's like yeah there's no actual sonic locations out here there's probably like one really decrepit Sonic, like a Sonic, like on an on the outskirts of Riverside or something like that. So maybe we'll make like a day of it, and just spend hours on the freeway to go to Sonic. So I, yeah. All right. So I don't. Yeah. Oh yeah, Brian's into it. He wants those tater tots with cheese sauce. Um, oh yeah, I don't even know what they serve there. I guess it's like diner fair it's fine it's whatever and then they have these like four thousand calorie bomb shakes that (laughs) i have not actually had because i keep looking at those and saying hell no but if there's like four figures attached to the calorie count on that and that's a that's a bargain for your life wow (laughs) yeah so like jay i guess i should get back to jay so like yeah, I think Jay definitely was, like, excited because that was a very Jay move. And, you know, as I said, Jay is kind of the person in all of us. Jay is the lizard brain, a little bit of all of us. And I think all of us, if we had someone that we thought was really attractive that pulled us into a passionate, you know, fling, oh, yeah, we'd be excited. Like, anyone probably, I mean, I would be weirded out. But most people would not. Uh, I don't know. They'd like that. And then, like, you know, they go out again, and then the same thing happens again. And that time, I'm like, all right, do something new. Like, one trick pony. And I got to say, the twist on all that of them, like, getting together. Can I ruin the plot? Is that allowed? 
No, yeah, go for it. I can. It's been out like twenty fucking years. Like I'm not <laughs> feeling like this is a real infraction all right so just to make it official spoiler warning for the critic if you don't want this episode spoiled go ahead and skip ahead about a minute or whatever i guess like but like the way that he gets locked in her apartment now that was i wasn't expecting that like i thought she had some sort of other strange inappropriate catch to her you know but no that was just it that she was like his biggest fan and she actually knew him i mean that's that's kind of a lot i don't know yeah so so the episode basically does turn into basically an extended parody of the movie misery at that point um with yeah with this woman who oh yeah with which i realized they don't even bother to give her a name in this whole episode Like, even in the credits, she's called Jay's number one fan. Yeah. So just another kind of example of this, of the series, you know, not being great in regards to its portrayal of uh, women sometimes. Um, But anyway, so yeah, she lures him into her apartment. And actually, the way she does it uh, actually has one of my favorite lines of the episode. All right. Why don't you come over to my place? We'll have some wine, cuddle by the fire, and watch Love Story. Make it cookies, the refrigerator, and eraser head. And you've got a deal. I loved that. Because it's so it's so Jay Sherman, but it's also just like, could you imagine watching Eraser Head on a date? That would be uh pretty amazing. You know, I, I feel like though that when you're actually that weird, like that's actually really great to find someone else that weird. Like I got to tell a story on Brian and I, like when Brian and I first started going out, we saw this art film that was filmed in the country of Colombia and it was called Monos. And it was about these teens. It was an independent film, all subtitles, um, Spanish language. And it was these teens that were involved in like really harsh warfare down there. And they had like all these assignments and tasks to do. And these kids were just brutal. Um, The whole thing was like set either in this remote countryside in a mountain and then like they dropped mushrooms and then they went into war on mushrooms. Like I have never seen anything that weird, but coming out of that, like when I like, I I loved the movie at the end. Like it was, it just, it was really well made, but it was very, like the plot was very out there. And when Brian was like, Oh yeah, I like this. I was like, okay, this is like a guy who's good. So, (laughs) you know, I feel like, maybe he should have ran that she didn't want to watch Eraserhead. Like I'd be, I'd be out of there if she didn't want to watch Eraserhead. Yeah. Good point. Get, get you someone who can do both uh, Eraserhead and, and I guess, you know, not kidnap you. Um, uh, So yeah. uh, So Jay goes to her apartment and we see that it is full of Jay Sherman memorabilia and pictures and merchandise and all this stuff, including may I think one of the most memorable elements of the episode, the, the uh, kind of talking cardboard stand. From when your book came out, I hooked it up to my clapper. Buy my book, buy my book, buy my book, buy my book. For some reason, that that's the thing that I remember most from this episode. Like that's what I remember, like watching in the '90s. Is that just that thing? It's rather cute and rather creative. I like, I like all the random memorabilia. There's the like Jay Sherman rewinder or video rewinder, and like you put the VHS tape into his mouth, and then like it's he spits it back out. You even have the Jay Sherman videotape rewinder. <laughs> Adam. I did want to say something about the women in this episode and just the women from what I can tell in both episodes is they go out of their way to make them unrealistically pretty unless they want them to be ugly. And yeah, I, I think, think that's, that's true. Really weird. I kind of hate it. <laughs> uh, no, that's that. And that is also definitely true from the pilot episode in which Jay uh, dates an actress um, who Jay suspects 
that she's only going out with him so so that he'll give her movie a good review. And then at the end of the episode, it's revealed that, oh yeah, that's exactly what she was doing. And then Jay gives the movie a bad review and she leaves. I saw that. You'd be so proud of me, Brian. I did my extra credit and I watched the pilot. Oh, that's awesome. Because I wanted to get an idea of like what this show was about. And the pilots always have a weird way of setting the tone by kind of not setting the tone. But like, since that was the episode before the one I knew I was reviewing, it was like, oh, I should watch this. And yeah, it was it was very similar. So I thought it was interesting because like I got partway through the episode and I was like, okay, but there's a new girl in episode two. Like, what's going to happen? And that was it. But yeah, she was unrealistically attractive. Like, like I am all for people dating who they want. I mean, it's great, but he always has these women way out of his league and I feel like the producers are trying that I don't know because they were unrealistic or they just don't know how to draw an average woman you know that is the patriarchy for you is they always draw women with exaggerated feminine features on TV and they have no problem knowing how to draw an average looking man, but they don't know how to draw an average looking woman because they're too concerned with, you know, this tiny little unrealistically tiny waist or trying to make tiny little feet. And then they always have like big heads and big eyes and like, huge boobs and I'm like women don't look that way stop this it's a little bit of an infantilization of them too well did you think the projectionist in this episode was unrealistically pretty it's interesting because she actually wasn't she I know that we're comparing like the sex appeal of appeal of cartoon characters and maybe that's really weird but you know I agree I feel like she wasn't as pretty as like the first one but I also felt like you know, she still had that kind of waifish look, whereas his hairdresser is always made out to be just universally unattractive, not just like one or two things, but they make this really intense point of her being a chain smoker. And then she's got like the gray frizzy hair and then the huge hips. I mean, it's just kind of, I understand that cartoonists have to have their style, but often it seems that style favors you know either making people really attractive or really ugly to prove a point and i think that's kind of unfortunate you know yeah they definitely rely on caricature a lot yeah um, caricature yet, that's a good idea yeah yeah and that's what we see with uh doris the hair and makeup lady who doris, a, yeah. yeah she's a recurring character in this show um though you might be interested to know there will be an episode later on uh where doris and jay go out um and ah. that, that becomes a thing that's weird um i don't know Brian. i know i think i think that's another um kind of sitcom trope that i think was especially present in the 90s where it's like you just have your cast of characters and it's like well we need a romantic subplot so you just pair them off uh you know two at a time and you just try all these different combinations uh like friends definitely did that um can't think of another example right now but i feel like that's probably just what what they were doing yeah yeah so i don't know i guess if they wanted to be together they could be together but they've already gone out of their way to make her seem like not his type it's like what's your point like what are you doing i don't know um but i don't i think it was interesting because you know i did feel bad for jay i was like oh okay this woman who really likes him came forward and unfortunately a scene that i was not crazy about too with all of that portrayal of other people was it's towards the beginning and he receives a letter and it says like you're my biggest fan and then 
they have to do this very problematic double whammy of it being a man who's attracted to him and a man in prison and it just it's a joke it's it's a cheap shot joke to be like ha 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 a man is attracted today like okay great um and then like the fact that he had to be in prison like they had to try and portray him as to how they thought was the worst type of person and like i don't think that's fair i think that's not that eight joke just didn't age well yeah yeah they're definitely kind of punching down with that one um and there's also as long as we're talking about like the jokes that didn't work i think right around that same time uh kind of in the in the beginning where we're seeing all these different uh people kind of couple up at the beginning uh jay is in the subway and he bumps into the woman next to him and uh they have this little moment and then we kind of hear what's in both their heads and jay is like i wonder if this is it the chance encounter i've always dreamed of i wonder if he knows i'm really a man yeah you know i remember that now uh definitely another joke that hasn't aged well uh there were definitely some things in the 90s of like uh dealing with transgenderism where they they basically treated it as a as an anomaly as like yeah a if i could use a perhaps ugly term as like a freak of nature kind of thing yeah because there's a very similar joke in the movie uh naked gun 33 and a third where anna nicole smith's character who is supposed to be, you know, the femme fatale, the blonde bombshell. It's revealed at one point in the movie that she has a penis. And then yeah. that that basically when when um, Leslie Nielsen, uh, when his character Frank Drebin sees that, he basically vomits. Uh, oh, that's also the, that's also in uh, the first Ace Ventura movie. Uh, it's... <laughs> It's, it was it like every other episode of Jerry Springer in the 90s was like, my husband doesn't know I'm actually a man. Like, yeah, basically the, the treatment of uh, transgender uh, people in the 90s was uh, not great. No, it wasn't. And it's really super frustrating to look at that history. Um, I don't know. It's been a real challenge for queer people to be represented on tv in a way that actually is realistic and makes sense and isn't problematic and it seems like even in the 90s they would always say or 2000s really any time before probably like i don't know 2008 2009 every portrayal of a trans person was pretty much a failure i mean there is one trans character who isn't made out to be problematic and that is um denise in twin peaks oh played, yeah yeah played by david duchovny and david duchovny is not mocking a trans woman david duchovny really takes on that role and i know some people have varying opinions some of my trans friends have very much you know they're open to it one of them she just always says okay well yeah you know he wasn't an aggressive portrayal or inaccurate nothing mocking about it so i don't have a problem with it and then i've had others say boy they just you know they could have hired a trans woman to do that role so i see both both facets of that for sure yeah. um yeah i don't know that's probably the one thing that dates tv really quickly for me is just like no self-awareness and i think it's important with touching on these issues that some people call political and i don't like that word that feels very boxed in and and cold for something that's actually very wonderful i think people need to embrace all kinds of different people as who they are and portray them in film correctly um i don't know there is one really funny trans actor and her name is shakina nafak have you seen her on difficult people oh yeah she's great 
she's fucking funny as shit and she takes on this character where you know difficult people of course is all about two people who are anti-heroes they're difficult people and the way she always has to say this is about trans rights or you're transphobic like she is very much making fun of how cis people make fun of trans people so it's like three levels of irony around what she's doing like she is making fun of how cis people think that trans people behave and that really sets it for me whereas just like the critic it's just like oh okay you don't give your wife orgasms at night do you like it's just a very different kind of understanding of queer culture but yeah as i said i think the show means well in the grand scheme of things if they were to update it yeah and i think like we could probably venture a guess as to what the writing room of this show looked like probably very white very male yeah Um, probably like older like probably like people around jay's age although jay's not that old he's only 36 when the series begins but yeah um, yeah yeah yeah. there's that part where he's like you're 36 jay you should look for this or this was that in the first or second episode but i I believe it was in the first episode what happens to his kid he's got a kid in the first episode yeah i guess we just assume that whenever jay is not spending time with his son that he's with uh his ex-wife ardith Okay, so he's got that ex-wife, and isn't she unrealistically attractive, too? I don't remember. I don't think... No, they don't make her attractive. I mean, they make her, like, uh, uh, thin, but uh, she always... She basically has a permanent scowl on her face. Like, like her (laughs) her defining characteristic is that she hates Jay and wants to make his life hell. Uh, I mean, which is another problematic portrayal of of women for a different reason, basically. Oh, a yeah. Completely unsympathetic portrayal of, of divorced women. The woman nag is one of men's favorite things to create, is a nagging woman. And I think underneath it all, because I'm, am I a nagging woman, Brian? <laughs> Do I nag? Oh, wow. What a question have i nagged no i don't think so yeah but i feel like i could be a little naggy sometimes and i kind of appreciate you know just the honesty of like a woman who's doing her thing and doesn't give a fuck but it also can seem really sexist because maybe the women talking have good things to say um i think that is one thing you know as i i keep going back to is you're not, you're supposed to relate to Jay, but you're not totally supposed to like to like Jay. I feel like I'm always in on the joke a little bit with Jay's behavior and you're not supposed to agree with everything Jay does. And that's so hard for people like in TV right now to do is to create hateable characters. They try, but then they just end up making likable characters. But like when people say that they hate a TV show because they hate like the lead character's behavior. I'm like, you're missing the point. Yeah. Why don't we get back into the plot of this episode when we last yeah, left, totally. when we last left Jay, he was trapped in uh, the projectionist's apartment. So eventually Margot, uh, Jay's sister enlists the help of Jeremy Hawk. Jay's uh, Australian actor friend to go look for him. And honestly, this whole sequence of them looking for Jay, there, there's not a lot in there that I really liked or cared about. Um, it's not really until we get to where Jeremy get, basically finds the woman and chases her to her apartment uh, that we get uh, some good jokes again. Like, the one thing I, I wanted to make sure we, we talked about was he, he buys a gun from a vending machine. Um, and it, it even asks him before he buys it, are you a criminal? And he, and he just pushes a button that says no. <laughs> 
I liked that part. I thought that was very, you know, and as far as things that age versus things that don't age, that actually aged very well. I guess guns have not, I mean, right now it's a virus, but before that it was guns. Like, it's both now. Get you a both. I don't know. Um, Yeah, I think America and guns is uh, something that'll be relevant for, sadly, a long, long time. Um, so, uh, Jeremy basically comes to Jay's rescue. He bursts into her apartment. Uh, so the woman or the projectionist goes to attack Jeremy and, uh, she is thwarted by Jay, uh, activating the animated, uh, book display again. So we again hear the, buy my book, buy my book, buy my book. Sorry. It had to be done. Why? All he said was, buy my book! Buy my book! Buy my book! I'll be quiet. (laughs) And that ends up being what saves the day. I thought that was hilarious. That was cute. That was that was a good way to sum it up. I mean, I wanted I knew Jay was gonna have to get out or something, but I didn't expect things to necessarily go in that direction but i was really happy that you know he did get off the hook i thought it was kind of intense how much time he spent didn't he spend like 16 days before he was found like in that woman's house like you can't go that long without like eating and stuff i'm sorry yeah Mm -hmm. yeah um yeah like we see jay's hair grow out and his beard come in and then she gives him a, a dumb haircut and then the the final scene uh we see uh jay is walking with a limp because jeremy basically uh, uh winged jay's leg with that gun uh i think there's a lesson there about safe gun ownership um uh and he we see he's uh he basically is going on another date with the projectionist so how is prison they treated me pretty bad at first, but then they found out I tried to kill a film critic. You know, in Texas, it's not even a crime. So I guess a joke at the expense of film critics, I guess? I thought that was funny. Yeah, I think that was a joke at the expense of film critics and Texas. Um, right. I don't think that joke was too far off either because it's interesting how very specific country or not country states will prescribe very, very specific rules that kind of only apply to those places. And it's interesting to see in liberal states, usually there's oddly specific laws in favor of helping people do things or hurting them. And then in, you know, more conservative states, it's always something that's very, like, strangely decriminalized. Like, it, they'll pick the strangest thing out to decriminalize in conservative states because it has to do with some sort of conservative ideal that they're trying to push. <laughs> yeah. I think that kind of becomes a running joke throughout the whole series is, is jokes at the expense of film critics. Like they, they basically make jokes at Jay's expense as often as they make it at the expense of one of Jay's targets. Yeah, I see that. No, again, you know, Jay is the butt of the joke. Jay is not the person in the you know he's not the star he's the anti-hero for sure yeah (laughs) um and that brings the episode to a close and then we get just one final joke at the end of the credits we see jay is like in the theater watching the credits and at the end the usher comes in and tells him he has to leave and jay's like excuse me sir the show's over i'm stuck in the chair which, uh, as I mentioned in the episode I did with Tyler, that's either another joke about Jay's size or a joke about how sticky movie theater seats can be. I think definitely both, I think. 
it is a fat joke and you know they make jay very pudgy throughout it they really want to throw that beer gut in on him at all times but you know more i don't think he's necessarily super fat but i do think he is supposed to represent this kind of negligent person this kind of haphazard person it's like all right you let me eat this eight pound steak and then all right let me do this and this it's just like like choices are just not thought out um, right <laughs> yeah uh, yeah and yeah that brings uh that episode of the critic to a close um all right any uh, any final thoughts on this episode? Any uh, details or scenes that uh, you wanted to touch on that we didn't get to? Um, I think that really about covers it. I thought it was a very cute show. I'll probably watch more of it. I mean, I'd be happy to watch some episodes with you. And I'd love to see our, our Southern heroine, Alice, in the later seasons, because it's always exciting to me when a show actually learns how to mature and grow and develop. And sometimes that plot is just real hokey and it takes them a while to figure out what the direction is and they can really bloom a show into something great. I've seen some awful first seasons like Parks and Rec. Parks and Rec oh, did not sure. have a very good first season. And then how many did they end up with seven altogether? And like the seven that they made are masterful. It, you know, except for that first one. And I think that, you know, I don't know how many, how many seasons are there? Of The Critic? Yeah. Uh, just two. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So. so, yeah. So there's 13 episodes in the first season, only 10 in the second one. And then uh, they actually uh, made some Critic webisodes like a few years later, but those are only a few minutes each and they only made a few of them yeah yeah i think some shows just aren't meant, meant to be around forever to be fair but yeah i think definitely deserves two shows i mean there have been a lot of shows cut off after like one season so yeah. that's good that we've got two i think the critic kind of like at least among its fans it kind of gets remembered as a show that was canceled too soon like there's definitely yeah. a lot of people i include myself among them who kind of wished it it you know, went on for, uh, for a few more seasons. Um, but you know, we're grateful for the episodes that we got. I think that's going to bring this episode to a close. Uh, Rachel, thank you so much for, uh, joining me and, uh, you know, watching the episodes and talking about it with me. This has been great. Before we go, is there anything you want to plug? Like, do you want people to connect with you on social media or anything like that? Um, not at this time. Um, I'm a freelance musician, so, you know, keep an eye out and maybe I'll be doing some shows here soon. Once, once our quarantine is over. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, once this damn uh, quarantine is finally over and we can go outside again. Well, we'll be looking forward to that. Um, yeah. and you at home can look forward to the next episode of It Stinks, the Critic Podcast. Thank you for listening to this episode of It Stinks, the Critic Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Rubinow. Our theme song is by Brandon Beck. You can email the podcast at itstinkspod at gmail.com and find us on Twitter and Instagram at itstinkspod. 